Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Jim Lau for today's message. Good morning. <laughs> My name is Jin. I am the uh, pastor for a church plant called Heart of Faith Church. And uh, it's always a delight to open God's Word here at Paseo del Rey. Um, I don't know how your week went, but I won't be surprised if it was crazy. Um, we're going through our series, continue our series on crazy busy. Uh, many years ago, I was a very strong proponent of how we can manage our time wisely, managing our time well. And in fact, I studied and, <clears throat> and conducted many seminars. But this past week, I've seen something I've not seen for many years uh, this, I attended a, sem- uh, a conference this week, and I saw something that I said, wow, I haven't seen this for a while. This is the one. Do you know what this is? Okay, who used day timer or planners here? Can we have a raise of hand? Look at that. These are the world changers. <laughs> yeah, they changed the world. Everything is in there, right? It's everything packed in that letter-bound uh, planner with a calendar, to-do list, directory. It even has some pockets, right, for uh, cards and uh, important documents. Mine had a mirror and a razor and a back scratcher. (laughs) It has everything on it. And later on, many years later, it was replaced by Palm Pilots. You also know that. Uh, And right now, we have our smartphones. You can even dictate to your smartphone what to do, right? Uh, Call this person, uh, text this person, or set an appointment. You know, setting an appointment in a, in a smartphone, I just learned that you can have not just one alert, but even two alerts. You can have an appointment set and be alerted uh, a day before and then 15 minutes before the appointment. We have all the tools in the world, right? To manage our time well, the question is, are we living a stress-free life or are we still a crazy, busy life? I think we are uh, all, all in agreement that it's still very crazy with all the mat- tools that we have today. Now, you and I know that it's more than just uh, having a very nice schedule. You know that it's more than just that. It's something deep within us. And the reason, deep down, the reason why there's a problem is there's something, up, there's a problem right deep within us. The chaos is partly self-created. Uh, the reason why things are not the way they are is because we are not the way we are supposed to be. And so this morning, what I'd like for us to do is look at two crazy busy men. And it's interesting. I've always loved to do this when I was in the seminary. And I thought this is a, a very appropriate time to do. I'd like to compare the two Saul's in the Bible. There's a Saul of Gibeah from the Old Testament. And there's a Saul of Tarsus from the New Testament. Saul of Gibeah, later we know him to become the king, the first king of Israel. Saul of Tarsus became a Paul, the apostle, later. And I thought that there was a very uh, interesting comparison between these two. Uh, there's humility in life. Uh, Saul started as a humble person before he became king. Saul ended his life in a very humble way. Both men are in a transitional phase. King Saul was a, a transitional man from judges to kings. Saul was a transitional in in terms of from the Jews to the Gentiles. Very, very profound uh, similarities, but yet also very different in many ways. Uh, Saul, I'd like to 
give him as a picture of uh, the many faces of pride. And Saul of Tarsus is a picture of a man of brokenness. And so we would like to look at that starting with Saul uh, of Tarsus. Saul of Gibeah, sorry. Saul of Gibeah. So if you would, please turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 9. And we would like to scheme through this. We won't be having a... An in-depth look at verse by verse here, but just came through the stories of both men. First Samuel, starting at chapter nine. Um, if you're using the Bible that's near you, it's in page two hundred seventy-four. Let's look at this: uh, how Saul of Gibeah started. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorath, the son of Apia of Benjamin. Kish. Had a name, has had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. There's something that I can easily identify with, right? <laughs> uh, Saul was very unassuming. Now, Israel was clamoring for a king because just like the neighboring countries, they wanted someone to rule over them, even though God promised that he would be their God, he, he would be their ruler. But they stubbornly asked for a king, and so uh, Saul became king of Israel. We would see that in, uh, in chapter 10. And we would see him also just being filled by the Spirit. He would prophesy, and he would lead the people. When the Spirit's upon him, he would be very bold to conquer their enemies, uh, particularly the arrogant Ammonites. And so when Saul did that, the people of Israel were so, they were so happy. They, we have found a king. And, and they were so glad they just wanted to celebrate. But I'd like for us to see that in the crazy business of life, what's behind all of this is a, a sin that begets many other sins in our lives. And this is the sin of pride. This is the sin of pride. And so the many faces of pride, is, this is something that I borrowed a lot from Kevin Young. I'd like for us to make a short list here, and we'll just go through this very quickly, lest you'd be so uh, overwhelmed by the number of points that I have there. But we can see that Saul was someone who was a people pleaser. He, he was just giving in to people's uh, clamor, and we would uh, find that later as we read chapter 13. But what I'd like for us to point out here is that the reason why many of us are crazy busy is that we do a lot of many things, too many things. And the reason why we do too many things is that we say to too many people, we say yes to too many people. Why do we say yes to too many people? Why are we doing what we're doing? If a person comes and asks for help, is it wrong for us to stop what we're doing and offer help? No, it's not, right? In fact, it's, it's a, a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is what Paul, the apostle, was telling us. But if we are stopping the things that we're doing because we want to please them, that's something else. It's another story. If, if our motive is to love on them, I think that's very noble. That's good. But if our motive is for them to love us, that's something for us to think again about. And here's a related thing, the second one. It's praise from people. Praise from people. If we live for the praise of others, that would really drive us crazy. If you would, please jump to 1 Samuel 18 with me. 
Now we know that Saul's craziness started, would read right later, Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 13. But his craziness started there when he began to do something that he wasn't supposed to do and make that offer, to make the offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering. And God, through Samuel, mentioned to Paul, to Saul, that the kingdom was torn from him and because God is now looking for a man after his, uh, after, a man after his own heart. And we know who that man is, right? The man after God's own heart is David. And in 1 Samuel 18, David becomes one of Saul's uh, generals. And David launched a battle and he won against the Philistines. And they were returning back home. And everybody was just so rejoicing. They were just uh, celebrating this great victory over these Philistines. And when they came home, the women were singing and dancing. And they were shouting, Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. Now I think, uh, Pastor Gary would say, all sermons are, what? Reviewable in heaven. I think the women had a very good intention of singing that song because Saul was not in the battle. And yet they still attributed Saul as one of the heroes of Israel. Saul has slain thousands. David is ten thousands. Tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. But Saul, instead of telling, instead of responding, hey, thank you for recognizing I'm still part of all of it. Even though he wasn't there in the field, right? But did you know how, how Saul responded to that? In verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? Saul was so angry by that comment because why? He wanted to hear something more. He wanted to hear that he was doing far more than David. He was after the praises of people. See, folks, uh, crazy busy people, I just thought about this, that crazy busy people are easily angered. Crazy busy people are easily irritated. Crazy busy people love the praises from people, just like Saul. So, people pleasing, praises, praise from people. Uh, A third phase of pride is performance evaluation. And I'd like for us to go back to 1 Samuel 13 here. Performance evaluation. Some of us can easily identify with Saul here. What happened? This, why did Saul's craziness start? See, Saul was preparing a battle against the Philistines here in this chapter. And he prepared his uh, 2,000 people with him and 1,000 with his son, Jonathan. But the Philistines, they prepared, they assembled to fight Israel in in verse 5. With 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as sand on the seashore. So they were outnumbered. They went up and camped at Michmash. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Now Saul remained in Gilgal, and, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. 
Verse 8, he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. And Saul was very casual about this. He did something, but he, he did something he thought that he needed to do because the guy did not show up on time, right? So he needed to do what he had to do. And he greeted, hey, Samuel, I'm so glad you came. And instead of be, greeting Paul also warmly, look at how Samuel responded to Saul. Verse 11, what have you done? Ask Samuel. And I think it's a good question for us to ask ourselves also. What have you done? If you're crazy busy right now, what have you done? Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Mi'kmaq, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. Now, take note of how that was worded. The Philistines will come down against who? Against me at Gilgal. And I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I think it is not wrong for kings to make an offering. I think David did that, if I'm not mistaken. But what's wrong here is because uh, Saul was instructed clearly by Samuel to wait for him. And he did not wait. He, he needed to do because he was pressured. He was pressured by the people. People were scattered. People were afraid. And he thought he needed to do what he needed to do as the leader. One of the problems with our performance of ourselves is that we overrate ourselves. We almost always overrate, overrate ourselves. Study shows, and, and tell me if you agree with this, study shows that almost all students uh, rate themselves as above average. Is that true? Above average. Almost all employees rate themselves as part of the top tier of their company, a top bracket. Uh, and this is something I'm not very uh, proud of, but I agree. Almost all pastors consider themselves as strong preachers. We often estimate ourselves more than we ought to. Romans 12, 3, uh, if you would like to jot that down, that's free of charge. The problem comes when we regard ourselves more highly than we ought to. Uh, there was a time when uh, I was part of a missions organization, and I was just so tired, my director told me, Hey, Jen, I think you need to have a break. I said, Phil, if I have a break, who's going to run the ministry? I was directing a, a number of people. I was uh, heading that ministry. He said, he said something that really stuck to my mind until this day. He said, Jen, if you go and have a break with your wife, the ministry would not fall down. It won't fall down. And, and while we are gifted, you are all gifted and unique. But let me say this, you're not that important. <laughs> Sorry. So, performance evaluation, let's not regard ourselves more than we ought to. Number four, possessions. Huh. This, I think, is one of the main drivers of our crazy business. If business is the water we swim in, craziness becomes a strong current where we can't stop ourselves anymore because there is a clamor for more. Um, in f f chapter 15, if you can turn there, First Samuel chapter 15, let me just summarize the story here for you. 
uh, the Lord was telling Saul, well, let me, let's read verses 1 and 2. Samuel said to Saul, I am the Lord. I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylay them as they came up from Egypt. Verse 3. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Take note of that. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women. Put to death everyone else. Uh, Cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Now what happened here? As Saul uh, launched the uh, attack to the Amalekites, they sure had victory over them. In verse 9, But Saul and the army spared Agag, and the best of sheep and cattle, the fat cows and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. What's happening here? Why did Saul not do that? Why did he not obey the Lord because he had a reason for sparing them. So verse, jump to verse 14. Samuel said, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this going of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, and he's, here is, here's his reason. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, Samuel. We are going to offer this to your God, Samuel. This is the best of what they have. And so this is all for the Lord. But we totally destroyed the rest. So Saul, in his estimation, he did what was right. He did what he could. But is that really what was behind that? Or could it be that he brought Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle because these are his trophies? Could it be that we become so busy because this in the ministry because we are just about God? Or could they become our trophies? I'm so busy. I have to preach here next Sunday. I have to preach there again two Sundays from now. I'm so busy. So could that be all about God or could that be something else? And what about possessions? Sometimes, here's the the craziness, our heart is indeed deceitful because sometimes we can justify and turn things around. Hey, I'm making this purchase, but this is all for God's glory. Pastor Gary is always opposed to me buying a Ferrari. I don't know why. I just want to show the glory, the majesty of God, right? Drive down around San Diego and say, hey, I'm all for God. But you know that that's not right. Why do we do what we do? Why do we purchase things? Why do we get involved in a relationship? Is it all about God's glory or something else? Number five, proving myself. Another face of pride, proving myself. Now, God is not against us striving, giving our best. In, in fact, Paul says, excel still more and more, right? It, it's, it's good for us to excel. But if our ambition is about proving ourselves to our parents, to our ex, to our friends, or even to God, then that becomes a problem. 
the striving then, our excellence then becomes a problem. If you would read verse 20 with me of chapter 15. Look at how, again, Saul justified his actions. Starting with verse 19. Samuel was rebuking him. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Verse 20. Listen to uh, Saul here. As we look at ourselves. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal, Samuel. And Paul was, Saul was still pushing. This is all about offering them to your God, Samuel. I'm doing the right thing. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? And the next one is something familiar to many of us. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than being crazy busy in the ministry. To obey is better than being so preoccupied for the Lord's, uh, in the Lord's work. Why are we trying to do what we do? Why are we crazy busy? Busyness, as Pastor Gary has mentioned at the very start, it's not a sin. But what's behind this? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to prove ourselves? Are we trying to prove ourselves so that we will have you will earn brownie points from God. God already said, I love you. I know you. And though I know you, I love you and accept you as you are. You don't have to prove yourself, do a lot of work so that I will accept you. I already accept you. You don't have to prove yourself to me. And some of us would still wrestle, Lord, I know you accept me and you love me as we sang that song earlier. But let me just show you something else, Lord. I can show, I can do a lot of things for you. What is that? It's pride. When we try to prove ourselves, to obey is better than anything else. Number six, pity. Sometimes when we're so busy, we are hoping people would pity us. That they would just feel sorry for us. Uh, Recently, I've had a back-to-back trip, international trips. I went with our uh, team here to Israel. And after arriving, a week later, I had to travel to the Philippines to be with my mother for her 85th birthday. My my siblings just uh, sent me a ticket and to be there with them. But I can only be there for a very short period. And as I met and visited with some friends, one thing I keep hearing is that they say, Oh, do you really have to leave already? Can you not stay longer? I have to go back to San Diego. I, I, there's a church there. It's waiting for me. And as I was hearing these people saying, oh, do you really have to go? There is something in me that was kind of enjoying the comment. Because I hear two voices saying, oh, you must be too busy. You must be very important. And a part of that, the second voice is that, oh, poor you. You, you can't stay longer. It's just pity and busy. Both are forms of 
pride. Both are forms of pride. I'd like for us to continue reading in in chapter 15. In verse 24, now, after Samuel rebuked Saul, look at how Saul responded to Samuel. Verse 24, I have sinned. That's good, right? It's, It's good to recognize our sinfulness. I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. Those are very, very good uh, signs of a person who's repenting. Very specific to acknowledge and admit the, the mistakes that were done. And look at how he continued. I was afraid of the man. And so I gave in to them. Remember Paul was a, pe- a Saul was a people pleaser and he wanted to uh, praise from them. Verse 25, now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Now, if you were Samuel, would you have done that? Would you just sought the Lord for Saul so that he may worship the Lord? I think you would, right? Uh, The person seemed to be remorseful and, and repentant. But let's look at Samuel, how he responded. Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Wow, that's a little harsh, don't you think? But I think Samuel knew Saul more than we all do. He was there. He, he knew what was behind all of this. He knew what was going on in Saul's heart. Which would expressed here as they, they wrestled. Saul was trying to reach for his robe. It tore. And so Samuel said, the kingdom is torn. The kingdom of Israel is torn from you today. It's given to someone better than you, Saul. And so in verse 30, Saul replied, I have sinned. He repeated again what he said to Samuel. But please, look what's next. Look, look at what's next here. Please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. In the end, Who's it about? It's still about Saul. I have sinned, but honor me. In front of all these people, it's still about him. When we seek uh, to be uh, soliciting the empathy of people, what is it about? Is it about us? Why do we do what we do? Let me add one more that's clearly uh, manifested in in Saul's life. Number seven, posting. (laughs) Posting. Why do we post? You know, I'm teasing. Saul did not post. Why do we post? Why do we post our lunch? Why do we post at Facebook? Why do we post when we have a new car or a new something? Why do we post when after working out in the gym and, you know, posting something? Why do we post when see a famous person and by the way when you see a famous person is it enough to enough to snap a photo of that famous person or not maybe you should be there as well with that famous person right you need to be at the foreground with the famous person at the background this week i was very uh, i mentioned to you about the missiology conference i attended and in that week that conference one of the famous christian authors uh, dropped by and, and he gave a talk and this was Francis Chan 
uh, crazy love. I said, ooh, that would be nice to have a photo with Francis Chan. I was thinking of what question to ask him and then secretly just snap a photo, right, God? But Francis Chan talked about giving the glory to God, not shining the light on ourselves, but to God alone, not even uh, taking a, a snapshot of us and God in the background. I said, oh, come on, Francis. You should have... You could have shared that message after I snapped the photo. Why do we do what we do? Saul's ego trip, and we know that ego is is having that sense of self-worth, self-importance, right? But I'd like for us to redefine, uh, make a definition of ego here, E-G-O. Saul was edging God out. He was edging God out in his life. And in all these phases of pride, he was pushing God away. Maybe not totally, but in the background, just like when we take a selfie, he, he's there at the background. But who's at the forefront? Honor me. What's behind our craziness, dear friends? Let's jump to the second busy man, Saul of Tarsus. Was he busy? Let's look at Galatians 1, 14. It's up on the screen here. I was advancing Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions, traditions of my fathers. Was Saul crazy busy? Yes, he was very, very busy from the get-go here. Well, but something changed. As he was so busy persecuting people, something changed as he was on the road to Damascus. And Many of us, if not all, know that in the road, on the road to Damascus, he met the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's quite interesting that when, he, when the light shone, uh, Saul said, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. I thought that's interesting that while Saul was persecuting the followers of Christ, see, when the followers of Christ are persecuted, they're persecuting the Lord himself, the body when the body is persecuted, the head, Christ himself, recognizes that it is I, Jesus Christ, the one you're persecuting. So because of that, Saul, later on, became a, became a changed person. From a self-righteous person, he became a, a broken p- person. And so here are the faces of brokenness that I'd like for us to list down. And I'm sure there are more, but I'd like for us to just limit this. First is a, a person who's broken does not mind. The person is ready to confess his sinfulness. Confesses his sinfulness. He recognized his sinfulness. He persecuted the followers of Christ because he deemed them to be going astray. You need to be straightened. You need to be brought back to the fold. What you're doing is wrong. And so in Paul's mind, in his eyes... What they were doing was wrong. He was right. They were wrong. And so he needed to to do what he needed to do. But then again, he came and met the Lord Jesus Christ. And he recognized that Jesus, the holy God, he saw himself before Christ. And he was a sinful person. And he deemed himself as chief of the sinners, as recorded in 1 Timothy 1, 15, 16. When we recognize our sinfulness, we recognize we need a Savior. When we recognize our sinfulness, we recognize our need for a Savior. But when, we're think, when, when we, we think we're good enough, we don't need God. 
So that mindset takes us to a crazy path of a distorted view of life. So a, a phase of brokenness is somebody who readily confesses sin, his sins, his or her sins. Secondly, Paul was also content. Paul was content. He was busy, but his busyness wasn't pushed by having more, as we mentioned earlier. If you can turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Again, if you're using the Bible that's near you, it's in page 1181. So what was Paul's motive for doing things, for being so busy? Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul's, he recognized that Christ, in Christ alone, he is able to do things. In him, he can do everything. Apart from him, he can do nothing. That's a, a sign of a broken person in Christ. A third is confidence. His confidence is in Christ. Confidence in Christ. He was not concerned about proving himself. Paul knew that he was good and he did not need to prove to anyone. He wasn't pleasing people. He wasn't after the praises of men. What was he about in in chapter 3? If you can look back there in Philippians chapter 3. Starting with the middle of verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in themselves, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. He was authentic Hebrew. In regard to the law of Pharisee, the highest that they can ever have, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Can you beat that? No. This is, this is the man's man. This is the guy. He had reasons to be confident. But look at how he continued in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Don't you love Paul's heart? Don't you love his deep longing for Jesus? Oh, how I I love, I pray that this would be the case for me and for all of you, that we would long for Christ more than anything, more than anyone else in all the world. Paul was after Jesus. His confidence is in Jesus. Number four, his center was in Jesus. He was Christ-centered. It's all about him. He counts everything, whatever he possessed, whatever he has achieved, achieved, whatever he has come to in life, all these praises and accolades and everything else, 
All of these are garbage. They're rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus in verse 10. This is beautiful. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul was busy, but it's because of his desire to know Jesus and to honor him and nothing else. He was so centered when the friends, when his friends were trying to warn Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You might die there. Paul was saying, why are you grieving my heart? I'm ready not only to be tortured, to be punished. I'm ready to die for Christ. Acts 20, 24, he said, but my life is worth nothing unless I finish the race and do the task of testifying of the gospel of God's grace. And that's why he can say in Philippians 1, 21, which many of us know, for to me, to live is Christ. My life is all about Christ. And if I should gain, if I should die, that would be gain as well. King Saul was about, his ego trip was edging God out. Saul of Tarsus, his ego trip was bringing the glory to God. He was exalting God only. It was all about Christ. Why are we crazy busy? Why do we do what we do today? If what you're involved in right now is about the glory, it's about exalting God only, and what you're about to pursue is about exalting God only, then take heart. When you're tired, take rest. Be still. Know that He is God, and He will be exalted among the nations. But if what you're doing right now is driven by some of or any or all of the faces of pride, if it's about pleasing others so that they may love on you, if, if it's about hearing praises of others so that they may tickle your ears, if it's about getting more and more in life, if it's about getting, being peated on, if it's, about, if it's about you, then I think it's appropriate for us to take time right now to confess. And just declare, just like Saul of Tarsus, I have sinned. But it's not about our glory. It's, about not, it's not about our honor. It's about, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have come to this point in my life and I want you more than anything else. More than anything else. So can we do that? Can we just pause right now and search our hearts? Let the Spirit move in us and see if there be anything wicked in us that hinders the glory of God. Our worship team is going to come up. They will sing a couple of songs. I'd like for us to just reflect on the songs as we continue to worship Him. Our ushers also are going to come and collect our gifts, a form of worship to Him as well. But I'd like for us to just pause right now and pray. Lord, Thank you for this 
chance to pause right now from the business in. Have you examined our hearts? Look into our hearts, God. If there's any tinge of our glory there, if there's any shadow of us desiring for our honor, for our name to be honored, for ourselves to have a good reputation, God, would you forgive us when we do things for ourselves, when we edge you out, because we recognize that life is not about us, and it's all about you. So would you continue to stare our hearts, Lord?